0: I'm your host, Stefan Morales, thinker, maker, doer behind Working Together, a burgeoning hub of can-do and know-how, inspired to explore who we are and how we can work together better. I'm fascinated by all the ingredients that you need to really make something happen, to really engage a system and the groups of people within it. And so on this podcast, you'll hear a lot of stories from folks who've made interesting things happen, their trials and tribulations, their reflections, their lessons learned, and the actionable advice that they have to share. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I did. I've always admired leaders who had a strong ability to bring everyone along without using power and manipulation to do so. These kind of leaders tend to be a rare breed, what I would oxymoronically call honest politicians of their field of work. They were committed to cultivating democratic exchanges within their teams, between stakeholders, through their partnerships, and they were also great strategists. And I've been fortunate enough to work alongside leaders like this in all sorts of different settings, and I try to interview them for the podcast too. So what was the common thread between these different leaders? They were all practicing... Something called strategic design, even though they wouldn't say that themselves. So in this episode, I walk you through four design approaches, from big ego design, post-it note design, to co-design, and then strategic design. And I talk about the art of creative group problem solving using co-design, and most importantly, strategic design, regardless of whether or not you think of yourself as a designer. So sit back, put on your thinking hat, and learn how you can use design to enliven your work and make an impact in your world. So in this episode, I'm going to make some distinctions between a few basic approaches to design. And you can think of these approaches as dispositions or attitudes that you can take towards problem-solving efforts. They're distinctions that are meant to help Organize your thinking, um, and they're spurred from Ezio Manzini's new book, which I've been enjoying quite a bit as of late, uh, called "Design When Everybody Designs: An Introduction to Design for Social Innovation." So let's uh, let's start with a few questions. So, what is the role of the designer in relation to complex problems? What entails good design work and likewise good design action so these are some of the questions that Ezio Manzini is, is dealing with in his book and I just want to kind of pull them out and start us off with what we usually think of when we think of a designer which is this notion of big ego design we think of this when we think of an architect or a famous industrial designer, the, the art the artist, the artur. Um, they're a highly regarded name usually and they create highly regarded artifacts. And this gifted designer imprints his or her signature and stamp onto a unique artifact, multiplying its value beyond you know what what you would get from a comparable mass-produced object. So whether the outcome is functional or it's purely an expressive thing, um, the signature of this creative genius creates a universe of meaning and value that surrounds the end result that surrounds the work. Kind of think of Frank Gehry's architecture as, you know, a great example. That's big ego design. Manzini, um, he points out that this type of design becomes very dangerous when we try to apply it to complex problems. Complex problems will entail messy efforts to work together on a shared understanding of the problem and a vision for what the solutions might be. And that whole thing is totally the opposite of the singular vision of an Artur. Um, It's yeah, it's not, (laughs) it's not really the domain uh, for, for a creative genius to come in and, um, imprint their amazing, artistic, unique uh, design onto the world. Problems, and particular complex problems, require a whole different approach. And this is kind of where it gets interesting for Mancini because he starts to break down big ego design in comparison to post-it design. Um, and this is the kind of design work that you usually see in stock image photos, uh, you know, of anonymous facilitators at work in anonymous team meetings. There's, you know, post-it notes on the wall or on glass or something, you know. People are gathered around them there's ideas all over the place you know they're basically doing affinity diagrams and whatnot with the post-it everything's colorful and creative uh and uh and kind of meant to signal to the person who sees the picture oh wow this is this is an innovative team at work um and so the post-it note is kind of like this penultimate symbol of the type of design work Um, associated with, I don't know, I guess maybe like a cargo cult version of co-design. And all you have to do is just Google things like teams brainstorming or design thinking or team problem solving or something like this. And you'll get, uh, you know, you'll get these pictures of people, um, clustered around colorful post-it notes. Post-it design could be seen as a reaction to Big Ego design. Instead of a visionary designer leading the charge towards the solution, we have a designer asking the opinions and wishes of users, customers, citizens, so on, and capturing their answers and clarifying them. Instead of a studio or a drafting table or a desk in a personal library, Any smooth surface can be turned into a space for thinking in diagrams. The post-it note can be used wherever its adhesive will stick, making many spaces, potential workspaces, and stirring up stagnant office meetings with color, movement, and plasticity. Transforming office space into what some authors... uh, have called airspace, which is an interesting term. Um, airspace being basically these kind of uh, white <laughs> uh, minimalist offices and cafes where you have people, usually young millennials, uh, such as myself, maybe, sitting down with a laptop or um, posting post-it notes on the walls and, you know, creatively brainstorming and whatnot. So that that's airspace. Anyway, so airspace, think of airspace as almost the opposite of the personal library in this kind of creative genius space. And so the post-it note can track the best bits of a conversation and capture essential learnings and immediately broadcast them to others in the room. It's kind of an amazing technology when you think about it. Because everyone can write their ideas down, uh, which makes everyone an instant contributor without the need of some moderator taking in that information and and organizing it in some fashion. So the post-it note organizes our thinking and enables the creation of a good first draft, I think. Um, and that's great, you know. Uh, it... It's a little piece of paper that basically decrees that no idea is precious, no idea is stupid, jot it down, and put it out there. Put it on the wall, in particular. Um, And where the creative moment of big eco-design is this singular practice, cloistered, focused, silent, and so on, the creative moment of post-it design... Uh, It can be singular or multiple, silent or cacophonous, Uh, but it's always this modular, diagrammatic, plastic, um, open and unfinished uh, design work. It's kind of the opposite of everything that Cal Newport (laughs) celebrates in, in his book, Deep Thinking, although there's parts in that book where he talks about the importance of thinking partners, which would probably employ post it notes as well as whiteboards and whatnot. Um, but it's the opposite of that focused, solitary work of problem solving. Um, and so here's a quote from Ezio Manzini. So he says, Post it design is a way of seeing the design process that emerges from the positive idea of considering all the social actors ordinary citizens included as potential resources for the solution to a given problem as people with something significant to bring to the design process end quote and that's basically you know right there you can see you can see the work of mass LBP, right uh, With you know which came up in a previous episode. uh, Although I would say that they're doing more than just post-it design. Um, But you can see that kind of, you're going out to find the resources for your problem-solving efforts from the general public. You're not just dealing with with particular stakeholders, although that might be the case as well with post-it design. But post-it design, I guess, is just so flexible and so open that we're really kind of you know we're really in the opposite direction of big ego design but of course there are problems with post design um, in its kind of zeal for transforming big ego design and countering it almost it ends up quote, transforming design experts into administrative actors with no specific contributions to bring other than aiding the process with their post-its. And at the end, maybe with some pleasing visualizations. So this is is kind of, um, yeah. You can see how this plays out in a lot of ways. A lot of designers just becoming facilitators with their post-it notes, Um, you know, reducing their design process and the room's design process to a polite conversation around a table of some sort of participatory design exercise. And this, you know... This isn't what we want either. We want designers to be more aware of their unique role in a collaborative problem-solving setting. So rather than have them fade into the background entirely, as they would in in kind of this critique of post-it design, the designer should develop their judgment to know when to come forward and lead, and when to hold back and let a process unfold. And during a group's efforts to creatively solve a problem, it is this designer's ability to kind of strategically switch between leading and following that I think, and I think Manzini would agree too, determines whether or not a process is just being facilitated, or if there is some measure of politic involved. And we'll get to politic at the end. Of our episode here. So. While it is possible that we can all be designers. Through post-it design. And also as we'll hear. Through co-design. We cannot all be. Strategic designers. Because much of that. Hinges on whether or not one is mindfully being politic. In these spaces of collaborative. Group. Problem solving. So. So. What skills and tools can we practice to become more politic? Is a question that I'm going to answer in today's show, um, and uh, well, I at least provide some provisional answers for you. And how can group problem solving move from the work of kind of passively facilitating these interactions? Administrative activity, as Manzini calls it, sifting and sorting ethnographic data, um, you know, trying to clarify what the end user is saying, etc. etc. How do we move from that to the action of making something happen, of implementation? So, beyond just the brainstormy, fun, creative side, but okay, now you have. A solution whatever it might be whether it's a product or a program or whatever and now you're implementing it and implementation uh involves a lot of strategy and tactics and politics and all sorts of things like that so how can we move from that surface level kind of that baseline level of group problem solving to this other level of kind of group implementing the diverse types of knowledge workers out there um, is this mildly reflective practice of coordinating what needs to come next how do I move this off my desk what needs to be communicated and who do I need to communicate with Uh, how do I develop a Gantt chart around all the steps we need to take here maybe if you're a little more in the project management world um usually a lot of this is uh emailing uh for many of us just setting up dates for meetings uh backcasting from due dates um uh you know sharing resources connecting with questions and answers around all sorts of elements of a project or a program or something all of this stuff is coordinating I would say. And so whether you work with uh, teams of people uh, with deliverables, information and data, you are doing a lot of coordinating. But is there a way to deepen our practice of this shallow work of coordinating? How can we take coordinating to a whole new level? So one thing that this makes me think is that basically, you know, you could see Post-it Design's um, successful countering to big ego design is creating this, you know, not only is, is the designer um, now just somebody who is facilitating group input into a design process, but their work is also largely dominated by coordinating all of this input and coordinating the project management processes around doing all of that work. Um, but what gets lost, obviously, is that creative vision that came with, you know, the auteur, the the... The artist who comes in and puts their stamp on the world, come hell or high water, um, that's lost entirely. So how can we take our work, our facilitative, our coordinating work, um, to a whole new level, aside from trying to diminish the amount of it that you do and carve out more uh, chunks of deep work time i think that answering a couple of questions in your day-to-day work will help you deepen your coordinating practice and turn it into something else entirely so question one how might I better design processes, products, and services to meet the needs and desires of all involved? How might I make the problem-solving tent bigger than just me at my desk? And so this is, this is the co-design element. This is the more positive framing of post-it design. And then second, how might I engage systems of people and things strategically? How might I become a better strategist in my efforts to make something happen? So this part, um, this is all about how bringing more people into your problem-solving tent can really um, transform your work. Whether you're just caught up in this feedback-oriented post-it design or whether you're just caught up in this coordinating work, you know, being a knowledge worker, you can enliven your work, I think, through co-design. And so the impetus of co-design is to bring everyone together, as we talked about before. It's to actively involve the end user in the solution design process to make sure that whatever product or service is created meets their needs and is usable. Right? So co-design is all over the design thinking stuff. This is this is where you'll usually kind of find your yourself if you're looking at design thinking, is you're basically looking at co-design writ large. You know, you work with an end user or customer to prototype and ultimately build a product or service that responds to their explicit and implicit needs. And to get to this outcome, you need to involve the end user or consumer or Joe public or whatever in a cooperative and collaborative design process. So that's co-design and I love it. It's, it's great. Uh, process facilitation that uses these design thinking tools, you know, makes sense. Um, And if you've been lucky enough to participate in a good co-design session, you know how awesomely powerful this whole approach can be. So we do need to continue to learn how to do it, how to do co-design, share the experiences and the best practices and so on and iterate and refine the tools, but there's still something more to master. Co-design is great because its starting assumption is that everyone can meaningfully participate in the design process. Everyone can be a designer. If co-design is found in formalized processes where a team of stakeholders or customers or whatever works together on an issue, quote, trying to create a common language and shared visions and strategies so if co-design is found in those types of settings then in Ezio Manzini's words co-design is all about sense making and I love this notion of making sense and you can kind of see the positive side of co-design here a bit more where post-it design sure you might be making sense of the existing constellation of forces the existing problem the existing perspectives on something co-design if it's done right makes sense of the problems but it also creates a new sense for the group to move forward from So, you know, for the coordinator, when we're just in that coordinating activity, we tend to just keep our problem-solving work under the small tent of our immediate team, our boss, and, you know, maybe the most interested stakeholders or consumers. And this is usually called the silo. Uh... And perhaps it's more efficient or expedient to you know, work in these silos, but you're missing a lot. So by making sense of a problem with more people through a co-design process, we make the problem-solving tent bigger. And while there will still be much coordinating work to be done it will have fallen off of the well-worn track of, quote, how we do things around here. And this is where things get interesting. A rich plethora of ideas are generated. A palpable excitement fills the room, and the work that follows from a co-design session is energized by the commitment to represent the sense that was created in that moment. And the more sense... That has been made about a problem and the potential solutions, the more the process of working on the problems and solutions has broken out of previous molds. But what about the solutions that come from this process? So if co-design is about sense-making, then strategic design is about the political art of making things happen the messy terrain where teams of people and tools try to implement something, keep it going for a while and adapt and adjust course when needed. And so this is where we go from the positivity of co-design. It is an amazing thing. You know, we've resisted, uh, the type of cargo cult co-design that, um, you know, is really just post-it notes on a wall, uh, getting feedback from everybody in the room, but not really doing very much with the room, not taking the room to the next level, not leading the room in some fashion. And kind of the other element of our work, which is this kind of coordinating shallow work, which um, in, a, in a way eats up a lot of our time and ends up siloing our work. And it becomes more efficient and more expedient to just go to uh, your immediate team or your closest, most interested stakeholders to solve a problem or design a solution from that problem. The positive side of co-design, where you make the problem-solving tent bigger, still needs to overcome this this uh, this balancing act between you know how much how much you're just trying to kind of make sense of a problem and make sense of a solution in a room, and how you're trying to take the solution that has that has emerged in that process and implement it and begin putting it into work, and that's where we move into this other element, which is strategic design. Gone big ego design, post it design, co design, and now we're coming around to strategic design. And I'm going to start it out here with a quote from David Good, um, who wrote a book called The Politics of Public Management. And I think he's an interesting character, he's an, he's an ex deputy minister. So uh, he's kind of been at the top of the bureaucratic organization and um, seen it all, so to speak. So here he says, quote, although reforms are usually designed by a few people, invariably they are implemented by many. It is through the implementation and not the design that the issues, contradictions, and dilemmas rise to the surface and become grounded in the reality of administration and politics. And it is often the implementers, not the designers, who are called upon to reconcile them. And a lot of the, a lot of the folks at In With Forward, I should say, are doing amazing work trying to think through this problem of implementation and bridging that gap between the kind of design thinking tools that they use quite a bit in their work and this problem of how do you actually make something that sticks and help it stick. So implementation, I think, is often overlooked by the design thinking hype Um, But it is the essential next step to any good co-design process. Because sure, everyone is a designer. But not everyone can lead the design process from start to finish and beyond. This requires moving beyond just brainstorming, prototyping, and iterating towards the politically fraught terrain of implementation, of making something happen. So, how do we become an agent of change in our work through the use of strategic design? Ezio manzini's book um is both really inspired by this uh this new trend. Where everybody is a designer, um, but also troubled by where the design thinking and co-design mania leaves the role uh, of this person that he would describe as the design expert. Um, But that I would kind of more generally describe as the politically astute leader or the politic leader. Um, the leader who is politic. So Manzini argues that to counter the tendency to reduce the design expert's role in co-design processes to this narrow administrative activity of the process facilitator, so to counter that, design experts should be at the same time critical, creative, and dialogic. That is... They should feed the conversation with visions and ideas, using their personal skills and specific culture, listen to the feedback from other interlocutors, as well as, more in general, listening to the feedback from the whole environment in which they operate. And then, in view of the feedback, they should introduce new, more mature proposals into the conversation. End quote. Then under the heading of making things happen. Manzini goes on, and I'm going to quote him at length here because I think he nails it. Quote, To avoid both the post-it and big ego design risks, design experts should cultivate their specific creativity and culture and their dialogic capability at the same time. We must stress that dialogic capability is not the application of a method But a very special skill, a kind of craft to be learned through practical exercises and experiences. The result is that they, the design experts, should consider their creativity and culture as tools to support the capability of other actors to design in a dialogic way. In other words, they should agree to be part of a broad design process that they can trigger, support, but not control. And again, in your mind, when I'm saying all this stuff, just try to swap out design expert with just, you know, a really, a really fantastic leader uh, that maybe you've seen at work in your life. Maybe you've seen somebody who's really inspiring, a mentor or something like this. Think of that person and how it is that they actually brought groups of people along democratically in a sense solve problems together and then not only did that but worked it through the system or whatever kind of hoops and whatnot needed to get you know jumped through did that and implemented the damn thing and it was a success think of if you have somebody like that in your life think of that person here because they don't necessarily have to be a designer so manzini goes on quote once they the design expert accept the view of themselves and assume this blend of creativity design knowledge and dialogic capability as their specific cultural and operational profile design experts are in a position to become effective agents of change they spark off new initiatives they feed social conversations and help the process of convergence toward commonly recognized visions and outcomes. In short, they make things happen. In my view, to make things happen, to listen to the feedback and reorient the action, is the most concise and precise way of describing the design expert's role in the co-designing process that we normally refer to when talking about design for social innovation. So, to make things happen, to listen to the feedback, and reorient the action. Kind of those three pillars is, for Manzini, the best way to describe the design expert's role in co-design. So Manzini uh, then goes on and talks more on this um i won't go too much further into it uh, but basically uh, to manzini the design expert has background in design disciplines architecture industrial design graphic design and so on um, manzini also wants to ensure that we uh, extend this out further and understand design expert to include Folks with backgrounds in service design or strategic design, um, with service design uh, being, quote, to conceive and develop solution ideas that take into account the quality of the interactions involved, end quote. And strategic design, which is, quote, to promote and support partnerships between the different actors involved, end quote. And I think, you know, this is all great especially the part about service design and strategic design. But like I said just a moment ago, I want to push Manzini's analysis outside of design backgrounds proper and broaden the design expert term to simply mean the politic leader. So I'll just explain here um, with a bit of a backstory here. So when I first encountered this notion of strategic design, in Manzini's book, it just opened up a whole new way of understanding what I had been working to develop in my own work over the past decade or so. Working to understand in in kind of the experiences I was having around me. So before coming across this term, quote, strategic design, the best way that I could describe the notion was by pointing to leaders who had a strong ability to bring everyone along without using power and manipulation to do so. And these leaders that I saw around me tended to be a rare breed on top of that. What I would oxymoronically call honest politicians of their field of work. And sometimes they were big names who I had only encountered in some biography I read or a historical study or something like this and other times they were lesser-known folks who I had the fortune of actually working alongside in different roles in different settings whether in the nonprofit world or in the business world or in government and in all of these cases these were leaders who seemed to be committed to cultivating democratic exchanges within their teams with their stakeholders, uh, partnerships and so on. And they were also great strategists. And I would usually walk away from a meeting feeling like, you know, I had learned a whole new conceptual vocabulary around positioning, timing, selling, signaling, all of these interesting ways of thinking about the world and thinking about relationships. Um, towards achieving outcomes and these guys and gals i should add too that i witnessed and observed they designed interactions staged uh, and staggered engagements according to tactical and strategic considerations you know they knew when to speed up and slow down and when the conditions were ripe for decisive action And, you know, like I said, a lot of these folks, they weren't design experts. Most importantly, these folks were practiced agents of change with a history of failures and successes under their belt. They knew how to effectively bring about change using their creativity, critical capacity, and dialogic capacity to design the interactions among team members, partners, and so on, respond to the feedback and reorient the conversation and action towards making something happen. So Manzini would call this activity designing coalitions, which I think is interesting. So I'll quote him again here. He says, Every design initiative is the result of coordinated action by a group of social actors who have come to an agreement about what to do and how to do it. These design coalitions do not emerge by chance. They are themselves the result of design, an activity proper to the discipline of strategic design that seeks to identify a group of partners and build with them a set of shared values and converging interests, end and then a bit further on, he goes on and says, quote, Designing the coalition required to actualize the initiative and set out, set out its program is the most delicate, if not the most important aspect of what design for social innovation does or should do. The designing coalition must certainly include subjects who can bring all the necessary skills to bear including those of the users slash co-producers. However, it must also involve the political figures required to give the ideas that may emerge some hope of success, and that they will promote them in the arenas to which they have access. Building this coalition is then, to all intents and purposes, a strategic design activity in which visionary capacity must combine with dialogic ability. In fact, the coalition must be formed around a vision or a program of what to do and how to do it. At the same time, this vision and program can only take shape in the conversation among actors. So managing the delicate balance between the need to put forward ideas and that of gathering ideas from the others is the first and most fundamental capacity that design experts must show they possess. End quote. And like I said before, just swap out design experts with, you know, a leader uh, that, that, you, uh, that you think really did a good job uh, around kind of bringing everybody along in a democratic way and then making something happen at the end of the day. So... In sum, for this part, here are some key takeaways that will help you take your co-design practice to the next level. Take it away from the post-it design, you know, world. Take it away from from the world of shallow coordinating work where, you know, the The depth of co-design work that you do is only within your siloed team. These are some takeaways that will help you move past that and begin practicing strategic design. So, first one here. Make your problem-solving tent bigger. Practice participatory design. Prototyping and iterating beyond the silo. Second, don't just make partnerships. Design coalitions. Okay? It's not just about partnering. It's about designing coalitions and thinking of that work, you know, in terms of staggering or steps or timing around when you bring people together and how and why you're designing these coalitions so identify a group of partners and build a set of shared values and converging interests with them. A vision or a program of some sort. Don't just facilitate. feed the conversation with visions and ideas. Sorry, that was number three. So don't just facilitate, feed the conversation with visions and ideas. Number four: listen closely to the feedback. Read between the lines. Um, And not just in what's going on in the group immediately in front of you, but in the broader environment. Try to understand all the different, you know, leverage points that you might have and move your work through them. Okay, what are we on? Number five. Here we go. Trigger and support, but do not control. So... Introduce new, more mature proposals and reorient the action. You're not trying to control it. You're trying to trigger it when it's right and then support the group's efforts to make sense dialogically through their dialogue, through their democratic process. And number six, consider your expertise as a tool that can support the capability of others to design and implement in a dialogic way. So whatever your background is, that is a tool for you to use in those settings to help the others in that problem-solving tent do even better work than they were capable of when they entered. So really, I'm only scratching the surface of what strategic design is here and what it means to design coalitions and what the characteristics of being a politic leader looks like and in many ways what I'm trying to tease out through the conversations that I have on this podcast is the art and practice of strategic design even though I don't think they would call it that, um, and it's it's a big bucket. Uh, there's, you know, when I talked with Ann Cooper, she mentioned some amazing things about how, you know, her work designing coalitions led to uh, the transformation of Revel Stokes' early childhood um, programming. Right. Uh, when I talk with Peter McLeod at Mass LBP, you can see his work is all about designing the interactions between participants who come in that room and using experts. So bringing in experts to offer the general public, the, um, the design experts to use Manzini's term, uh, tools to better understand and better make sense of the problem that they have to make recommendations around. Um, And so all of these, all of these different characters that I'm talking through and talking with in the podcast, they have lessons to share about how to basically become what, you know, maybe we could call uh, a smooth operator, like somebody who knows how to bring people together, make something happen. Implemented and so on so a lot of a lot of what I'm all about in this show is, you know, helping helping us stop this shallow work of coordinating um, and this this work of siloing ourselves that comes because we're so busy coordinating. And then especially, the crying shame that happens when maybe you finally do get to do a co-design exercise and <laughs> you're not really you're not really leading it up you're just bringing people together um uh to do process facilitation work basically where you're you know just taking in the information from the room and that's it um, so let's, let's stop this coordinating and let's stop this post-it note design stuff and start using co-design and strategic design to deepen our practice, implement robust solutions uh, that have brought everybody along through the process, and then most importantly make things happen, implement them. You can find the resources mentioned during this episode at togetherworking.com slash the Working Together Podcast, all one word. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast for more in-depth conversations with innovative thinkers, makers, and doers sure to inspire you and help you make an impact in your world. And don't forget to rate and review so that I can continue to bring you the social innovation goods. Finally, if you'd like to receive the weekly Working Together Review newsletter where I share interesting finds and actionable insights about teamwork, facilitation skills, social innovation, cooperatives, behavioral economic strategy, political theory, and a whole bunch of other stuff, you can sign up at togetherworking.com.